0: To the Switch the Pitch podcast, the podcast for those of us with resting pitch face. I am Darby, joined today by my co host, Ultra. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome to the Switch the Pitch experience. What is that, you might ask? Well, uh, Switch the Pitch aims to quite literally switch the pitch on soccer media to become more inclusive and we've got a really great show today. I'm excited to be back. I was I I was incredibly excited this week to hear uh Switch the Pitch podcast that didn't have my voice on it, um but I'm equally excited to be back here recording. So, hey Ultra, how are you?
1: <laughs> I'm good. Um still reeling from being on the BBC, which was an adventure. Um and Yes, doing the podcast without you was interesting, but also made me sad. Um, but I also know that you had been through some adventures where some of the podcasts had been literally just like you, rambling for hours. So the fact that one was able to happen without you, I'm sure gave you some sort of sense of like, all right, this is happening and that's amazing. Um, other than that, I'm doing okay. Uh I'm, how are you doing?
0: Oh. Between between back to school and um and my house literally falling apart around me. Um, it's It's been a rough couple of weeks, but there's a lot of soccer happening and it is my solace. It is where I go to find peace, despite the fact that it is, you know, sometimes a frustrating thing, soccer. But yeah, it's keeping me sane these days.
1: <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. So we got a lot to cover. So let's go ahead and dive right in, and we're gonna get to U.S. women. We're gonna get to U.S. men. We're gonna get to a bunch of other things. But we're gonna start with what is arguably, probably the biggest story in all of soccer, football right now. Um, across the board, you pretty much can't look in any direction and not see it. And that is that Lionel Messi went from being a free agent to "quote unquote" signing with Barcelona to now being a free agent again. Um, he has since given a press conference this morning where it was a lot of tears and emotion. Um, and you kind of sit here, and this to me is the first real post or mid-pandemic, I don't want to say post-mid-pandemic, casualty of the finances, because in any other situation in a normal world, they uh, they 100% would have had the money to make this deal happen. But due to financial constraints, uh, they would have had to do a bunch of salary wage cuts for the rest of the players to keep him. So first off, Darby, what are your thoughts on all of that? And then we'll go to where do you think he's going to end up?
0: I mean, in so many ways, money and and capitalism is what is wrong with the beautiful game. Um, but yeah, the, that press conference, I I had such a hard time because I see Messi as someone who is is really terrifyingly close to my own age uh despite the fact that he is still just an amazing footballer he is an older person right and um so very often whenever i watch soccer drama and these sorts of things going on i look at these people like they're my children you know they're they're young enough to almost be my children or young enough to be my kids and um and to watch Messi, though, I, I see him as much more of a peer age. And I just, yeah, I don't have that you've got to be strong for the kids kind of feeling. I just want to go and like hug him and tell him it's going to be OK no matter what. And that capitalism is indeed the devil. Um, it, it was so hard to watch. And and I felt uh, there were some people that talked a lot about how his emotions were uh, a show, that he was putting on a show, but I I really felt like that they were genuine and I felt genuine uh, sympathy for the situation that he's in. Um, you know, it, it really doesn't matter who you are or, or how big you get. We, we do still all suffer under capitalism and, um, and yeah. And, and I don't know where he's going to end up, you know, PSG. Great. Um, I just, I, I hope that he recovers from this and, and is able to find joy playing the game somewhere in some capacity. Uh but yeah, what a what a rough ending to that story.
1: Yeah, it's um it's unfortunate, right? Because I don't think he wanted to leave. Um I know he wasn't happy at times, and that was nobody was, you know, not aware of that. It was pretty pretty much the worst kept secret in all of football was that Messi was unhappy for the past couple of years at Barcelona, but they made some changes and, you know, he agreed to come back. Um, you know, I think that there's two sides to this, right? Because Messi a hundred percent could have taken a little less money if he, if he really a hundred percent was committed to staying. Um, and that's not to say that he didn't want to do that. Like obviously, you know, you need to value yourself and know what you're worth. Um, And the difference between giving a favorable pay cut and taking way under your value. Um, But that is something that 100% was an option on the table. Uh, When we think about where we're at and where he's going to end up, you know, Manchester City with Pep came out and said that they weren't interested, which could be blowing smoke, but also could be like legitimately where they're at because they may just not have a spot for him. Um, In my opinion, I don't see how if you have someone like Messi's caliber or player, you don't find a spot for them, but also, you know, that's, that's, that's where they're at. So you look at potential teams and now the most obvious potential suitor becomes PSG. And you think that PSG with Messi in that lineup could, could be pretty loaded. I mean, they're already arguably the best team in France and they really, their biggest challenge every year is, you know, champions league. Uh, Messi might be the piece that puts them over. So it's kind of hard to say, but yeah, it's it's definitely hard to watch because you don't, every legend wants to retire on their own terms and leave their team on their own terms, and I don't believe that that's what happened here.
0: Right, and and, and like I said, I I do consider him a victim of capitalism. I do understand that he could at some point um, say, you know, here's an amount of money that I could take that's, far below my usual salary, but people that play at that level and people that have reached that level of fame, you know, they've got a, they have a a machine behind them. There are, he's, he's got a staff of people, right? And, and I wonder and worry, um, especially given his, his kind of tender nature, if he's more worried about the people that are responsible for his brand, um if he does take a huge pay cut, how long that model may be sustainable um, to to sustain his brand? I mean he i I do think that he's a careful person, and you have to consider the long term implications of not only your own income but but this system that he has that supports his his brand and his you know his management. Um it's it really is not just him, you know, swimming around in a in a vat of dollar bills at the end of the day. He he has gotten to the point that he supports a, a company's worth of of staff.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's that's just kind of where we're at. Um so moving on from Messi, uh obviously, you know, I know you've been sitting on this for a little while now um, to give people a little bit of a recap. We Darby and I both woke up at in insanely stupid hours to cover the Olympics um, and suffered through that debacle. Uh, Darby has been sitting on her thoughts for a while and you know, I am just going to step aside here and give the floor to Darby and let it go where it goes. So Darby, what are your thoughts on what transpired and, you know, let it all out?
0: I take no prisoners. I I am frustrated by the result. Um, you know, sure, uh, coming home with a medal, you know, is is wonderful. And third place is still the third in the world. And, you know, all, all of these kinds of things that people say. And, and yes, I do get that to a point. Um, but taking third place, taking, if we had taken fourth place, like we, we had the ability to do better. Um, and this kind of goes back to that conversation about what an old lady I am. Um, I'm looking at the team, I'm looking at their capability and I know that they could have done better. Um. I don't know why they didn't. I don't know what what was wrong with their head. Um, I do believe that it has a lot to do with our aging stars. Um, this may also come come from the fact that I'm a Houston fan. Um, I had uh, Christy Mewis that sat on that bench all through that uh, that medal that that process of trying to get to a, a, a bigger medal. Jane Campbell as a goalkeeper also was a perfectly awesome uh, choice to look at for uh, when Nair went out. Um, and that uh, a lot of those opinions are simply just opinions that exist because they are my Houston players. And I really think that they could have, um, could have made more of a difference, but you know, why, why put in a Christy Mui whenever you've got uh, her sister, Sammy in there? well, you know, and, and Christy is the older chronological sibling, but is the player with less uh, national team experience. And I, I think that she could have made a real difference put in put into that position. And the fact that they didn't put them in just shows that and, and I don't know if it's Flatco, I don't know if Flatco is is getting a lot of push or recommendations on his roster choices from some higher up. Um, but the roster choices that need to be made are not being made. They're being made from a perspective, not of who is going to provide the best result, because obviously we didn't get the best result that we were capable of. Um, the roster choices that we made gave us a, a less than stellar result. And I will admit I was, I I woke up, I was up at three o'clock in the morning to watch, um, the bronze medal match. I slept through most of it. I I kind of like kept the TV on and I would hear the yelling and I would wake up for the goals and then I would go back to sleep. <laughs> and I would wake up for the goals which, you know, kept kept me up quite a bit. It was a it was a bigger scoring game, but um but yeah, I I was disappointed. I I don't um I I'm not a person that's going to mince words and say that, well gosh, we we did our best and yeah, because we didn't do our best. If we had done our best and that was the best we could do, I would feel a little bit differently about it. But we did not do our best and we did not get our best results. So it, it's unfortunate that it is what it is.
1: Yeah, so it's funny because you went right to my next question, which was on this exact podcast, I asked you, you know, um, what would be considered a disappointment or a failure? And we discussed it pretty in depth and you were pretty adamant that anything less than gold would be considered a failure. Um, Having seen what you watched and you may have just touched on it, but I'm going to put you on the spot here. Having seen what you just watched, do you still believe that this was either a acceptable and just, you know, it is what it is. B, you know, we salvage something, so okay, or see, like in no realm of possibility should we feel good or happy about this
0: it we shouldn't feel happy about it. We have got to work harder, we have the capability it's you know like we we have have the ability to do better, we have no excuse for not doing better, Sure, we took home a medal, that's all well and good, but um go back to the drawing board and, and, and create something that's worth your abilities. Um, half-assing, you know, if you can half-ass your way to a bronze, delightful. Um, show me what you can actually do and, and, and get yourself to where you can be.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, you know, who do you think deserves most of the blame? And do you think the blame is currently being placed in the proper places?
0: I know a lot of people are are th- throwing Blackco under the bus and 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 like I said on the on the last podcast where we discussed this i I think that was on the podcast, maybe on Twitter um, I don't think that in the political world of soccer that we will ever find out who was really calling the shots on that aging roster, but whoever it was that decided that we had to keep playing some of our aging legends ahead of some of our newer, better talent. That's, that's whose head needs to be on the chopping block. It may have been Vlatko. Something in my gut tells me it is not. Um, he may be the scapegoat. Um, whenever it comes time to to start answering, he may end up the scapegoat. I don't necessarily think that he deserves it, but... Um, But that is the politics of soccer. Nobody will ever say who was really calling those shots and and they're going to have to fire somebody over it. Um, It'll probably be Vlatko. I don't necessarily think, though, that he's the one that deserves it.
1: All right. So moving on from the U.S. women, because we can sit here and do four or five hours just dissecting that. Let's talk about the surprise of surprises for us, which was the men. Um, you know, we sat, we sat here on this podcast, and I think the exact wording was, and I'm going to quote here, that the women don't disappoint us, and the men consistently let us down. Um, and the opposite happened here. And not just once, but twice happened. Um, so for those of you who don't know, if you have been living under a rock, The U.S. men's national team beat Mexico not once, but twice in the span of like three weeks uh, to win the Nations League and the Gold Cup. The first one with their A team and Mexico's quote unquote B team. The second one with the U.S. like B or C team against Mexico's A team. Uh, Mexico was very, very, very upset that they lost the Gold Cup final to the point that I'm surprised no one has been like fired yet and they may just be waiting Uh, but they were very pissed and they claimed that it was not their best team, but it 100% was as close to it as they could get minus one and two players. Whereas the U.S. came out and said at the start of the tournament, look, we're just looking to see who we got in the pipeline. Uh, The U.S. did not have a very inspiring group stage. They did not have a very inspiring run to the finals, but despite all of that and literally some horrible, horrible play, they found a way to win. And quite frankly, that is what good teams do is that on their bad days, when things are not going their way, they find a way they do, they figure it out and put something together, cobble, scrap, whatever it is, and they win. And that's the difference between teams that win major tournaments, in my opinion, and teams that are just really, really good. Because anybody can be really, really good. It's a whole other thing to win when you're playing poorly. So, Darby, what were your thoughts on the Gold Cup and where, where we're at currently with all that?
0: Well, I, I think that the Gold Cup was an excellent example of kind of where the swap came for the men and women was the men were like, hey, this is our C-team. We're just seeing what's coming up in the pipeline. Well, when the women lost the gold medal, and, and to be honest, they lost the gold medal really, really early. We saw that happening. We saw it coming like a freight train. Um, The women said, we've got all of this good stuff in the pipeline, but we want to show you the same people that we have been showing you for years. And they've been winning forever. And so they're going to win again and abandoned their pipeline. The men said, well, we've got this, these players in the pipeline and, and truly didn't You know, use that as a as a way to couch the competition, and what they ended up doing was saying, "Well, we've got our C team, and we're going to parade them out here and just see what we've got." And that C team stood up and said, "We can be the future of this program. We can come out here with really something to prove," and proved it. And and I think that that's a lesson that the women have got to take. And I pray to a God that I don't believe in <laughs> that, that the men don't step back from this and say, well, thanks a whole lot. See team pipeline. We're going to get back to those former legend stars that you love to see on the team. Like if they don't bench those players and continue with this winning team to let them develop a little bit more, um, it, it is at their own peril.
1: So I think what's going to happen here is that you're going to see a mix of like this. So we have a young, a lot of young stars that weren't on the team because they were getting ready for qualifying, which 100 percent was the right decision. Like there's no doubt in my mind, like that's that's the priority. World Cup qualifying, Gold Cup is great, whatever. But World Cup qualifying needs to be the focus. Uh, What ended up happening here, though, is very, very important is that the pipeline got experience, which is something that hasn't happened previously. And that you you cannot make up for tournament experience with friendlies. There's just a different level of vibe. Um, And so while Pulisic and all of these guys are going to come back, and a lot of the guys from the Gold Cup are going to come into the fold as bench players or what have you, this sets up future teams down the line, which is what you want to do to keep the team consistently strong without ever having a full rebuild. Obviously, there's years where you have to retool, and that's to be expected. However, what you don't want to do is what the women are going through right now, which is where they were so tied to their all-stars and refusing to bring in new talent that they are now going to have a serious problem when they come back around to potentially the World Cup because they're not going to have anybody with experience and they're going to have a lot of young players who didn't get meaningful minutes. Um, And part of the problem with that situation now is that this, this Olympics is going to do more damage to the U.S. women's team, in my opinion, than, you know, just losing the gold. Like, that's all well and good. But you're looking now at potentially when these stars retire, who do you have? Like, who who's played meaningful minutes? This was not—the Olympics are traditionally meant to be bring some of your stars but get your new people in so they can be ready for the World Cup. Like, that is traditionally— what you want to use the Olympics for. And I believe that the women didn't do that. So the men missed the world cup last cycle and they took a hard look at themselves and were like, okay, we have a problem. We need to fix this. How do we fix this? Okay. Let's actually build an infrastructure that builds a pipeline as opposed to just grabbing bits and pieces here and praying that they can play cohesively. And that's paid dividends two or three, four years later, where we're now about to enter a golden age of men's U.S. soccer, in my opinion. The women have never really not been in the quote-unquote golden age of, like, their soccer. But the rest of the world is catching up. And so that's what I believe the difference is. Uh, but either way, yeah, um, the the C team, the B team, whatever you want to call them, came out and said, hold my beer, essentially. you know, And now the question goes back to the stars being like, okay, well, you got these hungry guys behind you. Can you keep up that intensity or, you know, will if someone's there performing, will Greg be willing to make the decision and replace them?
0: That's absolutely, so like, you
1: know, I just I think go ahead, yeah.
0: Yeah, just I I was just going to reiterate what you said. Those are those are absolutely the questions that they have got to ask and if they're not willing to make those choices, they they're going to be the women's team <laughs> they're the, so the women's my question team has squeeze the last drop out of out of those old folks and just there there has to be a transition right
1: oh we're we're long past like squeezing the drops at this point we're just like we're there's just nothing there and they're just like squeezing an an empty bag of dust like there's just nothing there um but but the real question becomes now how much credit do you believe Greg Berhalter deserves for turning this team around and not just beating Mexico once, but beating them twice with two very different squads and doing so in hard fought games? And let's be honest, let's be completely clear here. The match that they played in Vegas was a Mexico home match, similar to what they'll expect at the Azteca. Like there is that is that is about as unfriendly of a crowd as you can have on U.S. soil. Um. And despite all of that, they they pulled it out. So how much do you believe Greg deserves credit for getting the team mentally prepared and just all in all really putting together some interesting decisions? I know the overall consensus when he was hired wasn't great, but what are your thoughts now?
0: I believe that Greg Burhalter is is a coach for this team. Um there you're you're right. I do think that there's a lot of um people that that don't necessarily think that he is as good as the team needs to rebuild everything um, to rebuild everything that they need to rebuild but i've had an opportunity to hear him speak i've had an opportunity to um to hear some of his almost off the cuff ideas about how soccer coaching goes and he runs he um i don't necessarily believe that he's given a lot of the credit that he deserves as a coach um he has a really excellent view of the game and and to be fair he's got a son who is in this process right like he's got uh, a son that plays in mls and so he has not only the experience but he's He's looking at the system and how it's running from so many different angles. He has the ability to be so far up over everything to see all of the moving parts. Um, I, I think that he deserves a lot of credit, and I think that he's not done with his overall plan.
1: So let's look ahead at workout qualifying, and let's talk about you know, what What our reasonable expectations are. So as you know, and pretty much everyone who has followed any type of U.S. soccer knows at this point, uh, we did not qualify for the last World Cup in heartbreaking fashion, and we will forever curse Trinidad and Tobago for that, uh, even though it wasn't their fault, but, you know, whatever. Um, you look ahead to the qualifying, it's the octagonal for the first and probably last time that this will be an octagonal because we go to a whole new World Cup qualifying system next cycle with the weird three-team groups and whatever disaster that's going to be. Um, and you look, you look ahead and you see what this team has done and you say, what, what is the expectation? So obviously the expectation right off the bat is qualify, but do you think this team could top the group? And should they top the group?
0: That's an interesting question. So, I think that they have the ability, but there are a lot of factors at play, and um, I'm looking. I'm 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 looking for them probably not to top the group. They, if they if they get lucky, if they hit a couple of particularly lucky spots, I think that they could come out at the top of that group stage. But it's. Um, I, I think that just simply simply the fact that the United States men have come out to be this wild thing. Um, it's difficult to predict. And I think that even mentally it facing the United States is gonna be a totally like it's gonna be a totally different thing. So even the team's mentality that goes up against the United States coming, coming up, I think that it's really hard to predict because teams facing the United States in the past have always known kind of what to expect. We've, we've had such a, such a track record of everything being the same for so long. And so I think that it's really hard to predict what even the other team's mentality is going to be coming at us. Um, But Given a couple of lucky chances and um, and the team playing to their full capability, there's there's really a good chance that um, that if if not topping the group, at least putting in a really, really good showing.
1: Yeah, I mean, so realistically, right? Like, let's let's just be completely blunt. Like, we we are growing this podcast into being completely honest, and most, we've just accepted that this is going to be an explicit podcast moving forward. So, kids, you know, cover your ears. Um, the the real The real the real fact of the matter here is that you know the U.S. the U.S. soccer and CONCACAF should never not qualify. Like, let's just let's just be blunt. Like, CONCACAF isn't UEFA or Commedable. It's getting better. It is certainly getting better, but there is no reason the U.S. should not be at the very least one of the top four teams in the federation and at the very least qualify for the for the playoff. All of that being said, it is, in my opinion, a reasonable expectation to say that this team right now is the best team in CONCACAF. I said it on the BBC. And I'll say it again here, and I'll tell you why. And this is very straightforward, which is that, in my opinion, the pendulum has swung from the, Mexico being the solid power to the U.S. becoming the bigger power. Mexico had a lot of problems that the U.S. women's soccer team had, which is that they didn't build a strong pipeline, and that they're now reading the ramifications to that. The U.S. realized they had a problem, at least with the men, saw it, and fixed it. And that is huge. They are currently ranked ninth in the FIFA rankings in the world. They are ahead of Mexico. And that speaks volumes. So when you look at CONCACAF as a whole, the reasonable expectation should be yes, they should top the group. Now, it is very hard in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. I would not even attempt to say that it isn't because it is just a beast of its own. You know, you wait, a work qualifying sure, whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of good teams and Comnival, Sure. Whatever. It's a lot of good teams, but there is just something different about walking into the stadium in Costa Rica and having bags of piss thrown at your face or going into the Azteca and having 120 or 90,000 fans screaming horrible things at you. some things that should definitely be sanctioned by the way. and, you know, throwing beer cans. And it is really the only federation where that is just the accepted norm. People show up outside of the hotel where the players are in El Salvador and blare music through the entire night with sirens and alarms so the players can't sleep. Like this is a level of ass hattery that can only be accepted in CONCACAF. And that's okay because it's a dumpster fire, but it's our dumpster fire and we love it. You know, there's a we have a saying over here on this side of the world, and it's get getting Concacaft Or you got CONCACAF, and it's you know officiating problems, shit like this. It just happens. So, all that being said, though, this team has shown that they're resilient. They they really have. I mean, they've they've been through it. So, I think that they absolutely will and should qualify. But I think that you know first or second place probably should be the expectation. Um, all that being said. I do want to take a moment and point out the fact that Canada is going under the radar and is a very up and coming. You know, a men's national team. They are doing a lot of good work. Uh, you look at some of the other countries of CONCACAF; they're catching up too. Like everybody's suddenly figured out that oh shit, like we can put together good teams and compete for the World Cup because money. So like you know, um, suddenly everybody now cares in CONCACAF. Uh, But realistically, I think that the U.S. is the dominant power, which is both good and bad because people are going to be gunning for them. But, yeah, I think I think that which should be the expectation should really be to be first or second based off of who's in the group.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be an enjoyable watch, which for me is kind of a big deal because those matches have not, in the past, been an enjoyable watch. No, um, not at all. So, so it's it's surprising. It's invigorating, and and I really am looking forward to watching uh, a lot more than I have in the past watching watching that soccer. And and you're absolutely right about Canada. Canada is really um, blossoming into a into a powerhouse. And one thing I will say, um, just to to in addition to what you said, my very favorite Concacaf phrase that gets thrown around at my house really regularly is "Do you even Concacaf, bro?"
1: That's pretty good. I like that. That's a good I like one.
0: I, I don't remember who originally ever tweeted it, but um, I was watching, you know, soccer Twitter one day, and, and somebody asked that question, and now it's it's common. We we were I was watching Liga MX last night after the after the MLS match that I watched and. And yeah, we're we're all yelling.
1: <laughs> so now we're going to transition into a story that's been covered, but hasn't been covered. It got a lot of really big attention when it was announced. And now we're always kind of waiting on pins and needles. And this is a pretty big one. And that is, if you haven't heard, there are two major stories going on in CONCACAF soccer right now. The first is that Canada, the Canadian Premier League, is dealing with an ongoing players union issue with their league structure and their ownership and all of that and the players union which doesn't exist yet because there isn't a players union in Canada it's a whole thing it's a disaster and we are going to cover that next week because we are bringing on a friend of ours from Canada who is an internet sports net who covers the Canadian Premier League who's going to try to break all that down for us because it is a dumpster fire and it is a nightmare but the long story short, the league is owned just by the guy who owns Tim Hortons. Um, he is adamantly anti-union. It is, it is a mess. So we're going to put that one in a box for now. Uh, and instead, we are going to go to the second bigger story, which concerns us in America, which is that the USL has come out and announced that they are aiming by 2026 to be a promotion relegation league and that their goal is to change their schedule to follow the European calendar, which would include a winter break and a second preseason similar to Germany. We have talked a lot amongst just the general fan bases across the the country about wanting promotion relegation or not wanting promotion relegation. It is a very, very heated debate on where you stand. The biggest argument against has always been, well, people pay a billion dollars to buy in the MLS. So why would they want to be relegated? And the counterpoint to that is because the goal and purest form of soccer is that you can start at the bottom tier and work your way up, regardless of where you come from or your money backing. USL aiming to do this in the second division. So it would be a tier two and tier three promotion relegation open to everybody would be ground, you know, earth shattering. In my opinion, it would be huge for this country. Um, And it would be interesting to see if it works. So Darby, I don't know how closely you've been following this, but what are your thoughts on potentially a promotion relegation USL and what that could potentially mean down the line for MLS if it happens?
0: I am a fan of ProRel. I do think that it's a good system. I like the way that ProRel works in other parts of the world. I don't necessarily think that the United States is ready or, or even set up in a way that pro is going to work. I am encouraged that the USL system wants to start. I think that if, if it's going to start anywhere, the USL system is where it's going to start. Trying to get the millionaire billionaire owners of MLS to suddenly agree to gamble away that investment on transitioning to ProRel is impossible. Capitalism is, is too strong of a monster here in the United States and in MLS for that to be sustainable there. But the fact that the USL teams, which are so much more grassroots funded, uh, funded by people who really have a love of the game. Um, I think that there is a possibility that Prorel might work for USL. Now is it gonna be the same kind of thing given that it's um, b- because it's it's such a small market, right? Uh, we had a we had a USL team just down the road from us that we that we went and watched pretty regularly a few years ago and they went under and I miss them so much. They were my favorite games to go to. Like, I mean, I, I love Houston soccer. I love driving down to the big stadium. Um, but literally watching professional level USL players from a, uh, camping chair on the sideline where you had to be engaged in the game because occasionally the players came at you. If they, if there was a tackle, in front of you, and you were on the sideline, right? Like, they're exciting matches. They're fun matches, um, and they are played in some really small places. In a lot of, um, in a lot of instances, where uh, you know smaller teams can't get access to uh, larger arenas. Um, so I'm excited about the possibility of USL trying it out. Do I ever think that it is going to uh, become something? more than just a usl system is it going to grow and and include mls one day i don't necessarily think that that's the case um i would love it if it did i, I think it would be fun um but the fact that they're starting at usl i i think is is excellent for the usl system um can be an excellent model for how pro can work in the united states um i I think if you're gonna bring pro rail to the united states u s l is the right place to start um yeah i'm I'm here for it. I can't wait to to see how it goes.
1: so my response has always been the following, which is that m l s is gonna hit a wall at some point where they're gonna to have too many teams for one league, and it's gonna be stupid like if we're sitting here with like forty five teams in m l s like okay, I think what is likely to happen? in MLS is something like the following, which is a modified promotion relegation system where there's an MLS one and an MLS two, which you go between, but both leagues share in the money revenue, Um, which is how they would probably have to do it so that this way nobody loses their MLS status, quote unquote. So you still buy in, you still make the money, which is what the owners want, but that's probably gonna be the end result at some point because either it's gonna be that or the, the, the league's just going to have to stop accepting teams because, uh, I mean, I don't particularly want to follow a league that has like 60 teams in the top division where it's like, all right, well, this year you play these like 20 teams, but not those other 40 teams. But on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, on like the middle of March, if it's like the 15th, but not the 14th, if you play this team, it's it's, it's got to be a nightmare for schedulers. And at that point, we just turn into like the... Basically, the lower leagues where it's like regional and then you play your way up. And I mean, that that's a scary thought. Um, But I do think that MLS would entertain the idea of an MLS one and an MLS two where they frame it so that everybody shares in the money revenue, which is what the owners want. But you go up and down based off performance, and this way everybody in MLS 2 gets to still say they're in MLS, but you know the fans are aware of what's going on. Um, that would be the only way I could ever see it happening in MLS, because when you're talking about paying millions and millions and millions of dollars to buy a franchise, you're not going to accept being relegated to USL or a lower league. It's just not going to happen unless you're guaranteed a windfall of money. Um, all that being said, it is incredibly great for USL. I think that I have always been, like, a big fan of promotion relegation. I think that if you pull a DC United a la 2013 and win, like, two games, you know, all season and then get, like, three draws and lose everything else, you probably deserve to be relegated as a wake-up call. Uh, At the same time, you know, I think that if you pull a Tampa Bay Rowdies and go, like, nearly undefeated, you should be playing in the top league. And I think that the biggest advantage of promotion relegation is the ability for, you know, Des Moines, Iowa to start their own team at the bottom of the pyramid. And if they perform well enough, play in MLS. That is something that I think this country misses as opposed to Des Moines, Iowa, needing to court a billionaire, build them a stadium and hope that MLS accepts their bid, which is, which is to me, a bad system. So that, that's my thoughts on pro Real. I think that it's very much so A wait and see approach i think that we will have to see how it goes with usl because if it's a train wreck it'll never happen again but i think that usl is the right place to try it if if their board votes it in because this is all still pending the meeting with all their stakeholders and everything but i think it's a good idea i really do
0: yeah i'm um I am overbooked and overtaxed in every way possible, but especially if ProRail does come to USL, I am going to double forth my effort in uh, supporting those teams. There's uh, a couple of USL teams nearby that I haven't made any um, any matches, but but I will definitely be pushing myself to, to support that a little bit more because I love ProRail. Um, the other thing that that I didn't mention before, because I was off on the capitalism tangent uh, that I do also want to point out is there's a lot of, oh, well, what about the fans? And um, especially it, when the conversations get to MLS ProRail, um, there are a lot of fans that are traditionally considered fair weather fans um, that would jump ship on a lot of these teams if they were relegated, for sure. I, I I think that that's that that doesn't drop pro rel in the that that's not a con for me. To be perfectly honest, that's a pro for me. Um, I do not uh, when when you commit yourself to a team when you consider yourself a supporter. Um, I I am absolutely here for supporting your team whether you're losing constantly like Houston. Um, or whether you are winning constantly, like Houston has done in the past, um, I am. I am a Houston soccer fan, but the 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 fans down here that just insist on winning constantly in order to earn uh, a fan uh, drive me nuts. And um, and honestly, if if a pro rail system will uh, kind of kind of shake out some of those fair weather. Uh, I'm just here for the winning team. I only want to be on the winning side. I'm a het white man. And and give yeah. me a win or or go away. Ugh, that, that attitude drives me insane. And if Pro Rel will also shake that out of uh, any soccer system, I am here for it.
1: So last thing I want to cover today as we wrap up is something that has been kind of kicked around a little bit, and that is the Gold Cup and its status and existence in CONCACAF. Uh, As you know, the Gold Cup is currently played every two years, and they've tried multiple scenarios and systems to try to make it entertaining or make teams care about it. But the the biggest question and push that I have and that a lot of people are kind of coming to terms in agreement with now is that the Gold Cup should probably move to a once-every-four-year-style rotation like all of the other major tournaments. And the reason for that is you just look at the excitement level for the Gold Cup versus the Euros and the Copa America, and I get that the it's bigger in some of those other areas. However, part of the reason that people get excited for that is because it's every four years and it feels like a major tournament and it doesn't feel watered down. And I think that There was a time when you needed to have the Gold Cup every two years to get CONCACAF countries, you know, experience playing every, you know, two years or whatever in a major tournament. However, now with Nations League, I believe that you do not need to sacrifice the premier CONCACAF tournament as the Gold Cup and make it every two years. I think that it would be a better tournament and more people would be excited and more teams would bring their best squads to it, knowing that it was once every four years and it was framed as a major tournament. What are your thoughts on that Darby?
0: I do see their point. Um, I, I do believe that some tournaments need a like, like almost like a, like a warm up period or, or more like a, like an excitement building. Um, to know that the Gold Cup is going to come around again in two more years, it's like, it, it's like missing foreplay, right? <laughs> like, it's the Gold Cup is the quickie of the CONCACAF <laughs> uh, tournament schedule, right? Like, you know, it's it's the booty call. It's the I don't need to wine and dine the Gold Cup. The Gold Cup is going to call me at two a.m. next week. It's no problem. Um, right. And 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 yeah, I I do think that. We have come to the point to to extend that metaphor. We have come to the point in that gold cup relationship where we can make it a little more special, right? Um, we we can have some anticipation. We can have some um, some buildup for that tournament, and and swapping it to an every four year to and and also I I think that it has gained in 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 popularity and and even in kind of on a global stage that. That making that swap from every two years to every four years will also give it the um the standing in the tournament sphere that that it deserves because because it is a a worthy um it is a worthy tournament
1: yeah, you know, and one of the things you can do, right because of the existence of nations league now, and because of the ability to do other things. You can create a new tournament if you wanted that could take the place of the quote unquote second Gold Cup that could be a, you know, filler. But I think that you're absolutely right is that the the status of the gold cup is growing right and it gets diluted when it's every two years you're absolutely right it's almost as if the gold cup is the booty call but we're trying to tell the gold cup like you know as their friend you can have higher standards you can do better get yourself a man you know whatever you want to do like and the gold cup's like well i don't really know and we're like pushing her to go and like improve herself right so that's you kind of where we're the at
0: real love girl
1: yeah exactly you deserve you deserve a four year once every one while relationship you don't need this you know every other year crap but like yeah i think you look at it and you sit here and you you just see the level of excitement and celebration right like when italy won the euros like there were straight up parties in the streets right when argentina won the copa there were straight up parties in the streets when America won the gold cup, there was a couple of rounds of applause at bars and then everybody went along their way. Like there was more anger in Mexico that they didn't win. And that was mostly because, you know, met versus how dare we not win this major tournament. It was more like, how dare you not win the gold cup? It's the gold cup. Like, um, and that's the problem we have. So you look at it and you absolutely can say like, yeah, this is, this is a situation where, This it's time right. Nations League gives all the countries that you were worried about having competitive matches in the lower tiers of Concacaf competitive matches, and if you really wanted to do something special, you have the Gold Cup once every four years, and then in that filler spot where the second Gold Cup would have been, you do a special Copa America Gold Cup combination thing where CONCACAF and Concacaf come together and they play a tournament once every four years. So then you would look at you know our side of the world's schedule. You'd have Copa one year, then you'd have you know, gold cup the next year, then you'd have the combination gold, like condo, then you'd have world cup after that. And then you'd finish coming back around to the cock calf condo combination. And then the cycle would repeat again. To me, everybody went in that scenario because everybody gets what they want. There's money. So everybody's happy. Um, and when you look back at the Copa America Centenario, like it was an incredibly successful tournament. So in my opinion, that would be the best situation. But I just think that, you know, there should be more celebration for winning our Federation's version of the Euros. And it just seems like right now everyone looks at it as like, eh, whatever, it's the Gold Cup, I guess. I mean, we're obligated to go by contract, so I guess we'll send the team or whatever. And we need to be less emo, angsty teenager about the Gold Cup and more like peppy, super happy cheerleader, yeah. in my opinion. I like that. So, with that in mind, Darby, do you have any closing thoughts as we wrap up here? Anything you want to get out, any shout-outs?
0: Um, I do want to uh close out like we did last time, shouting out our uh, actual written content at switchthepitch.com. Uh this week I want to uh highlight Silvana, who is one of our writers and ultra I I know things about you to know that uh, you have a, a music centric brain and uh, those sorts of things in your world. I also do. And if you are one of those folks that when you hear a particular thing, it gets a song in your head. Uh, Silvana's writing is um, often music centric. She, she has music themed articles that are actually really fun that will absolutely earworm you. Um, and she's had, I think two or three articles go up on the website this week. Uh, she's our, uh, Red Bulls cover. Um, and so yeah, go to switchthepitch.com and, um, or switch, sorry, switch the pitch soccer and, um, and, and read those articles because they're, they're excellent. And, um, and yeah, get earwormed while you're getting soccer wormed. It's, um, it's always a lot of fun to read those. And I guess that's so, it. Yeah, we uh,
1: before I let Darby do this. go ahead. Yeah. Darby, why don't you go ahead and give us our, uh, give us our little closeout out here.
0: All right. So as always, thank you for joining us on the switch the pitch podcast, the podcast for those of us with resting pitch face. Thank you to one, two, three scream and Jana Pocop for our podcast. Anthem links to those websites will be in the show notes. You can send us an email at contact at switchthepitchsoccer.com. You can shout us out on Twitter at uh switch the pitch one. That's the number one. Same thing for Instagram, switch the pitch one, and Facebook at fb.me slash the pitch soccer. Um, we've got articles, we've got photographs, and um, we love to connect with our fans. So we'll see you there.
1: And of course, this episode, very conveniently going to be named, Do You Even Conquer Calf, Bro? So look out for that. We want to thank you guys for listening in this far. And if you've made it this far and haven't run away screaming like, oh my god, look at these idiots, we appreciate you. And please like, subscribe, follow us, engage with us. And uh, we'll see you next time unless, you know, we don't but we should be back at some point. I'm not going to say next week because both Darby and I have lives that apparently go off the rails consistently, but not at the same time. So join us next podcast at a date to be determined and we will see you next time. And thank you guys so much.
0: Love, love. Bye.
1: Something incredible, build a constellation, not a firework.